Welcome to the How We Treat Colon and Rectal Cancer podcast, presented by the Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Dana-Farber in Boston. Join us as we review some of the more complicated colon and rectal cancer cases and discuss the treatment decisions with leading medical experts in the colorectal cancer field. Good morning, Jeff. We're going to have a topic in this podcast uh, that focuses on the new findings from the recent ASCO meeting, where there was a study from not only the U.S., but other parts of the world looking at three months versus six months of post-op adjuvant therapy for colon cancers. Now, you were involved, uh, actually very much involved in the leadership of the American trial. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so... CLGB Nail Alliance 8702 was a trial that we started about eight years ago that at the initiation of the trial, one of the goals was to participate in this large international collaboration called IDEA, comparing three versus six months of adjuvant chemotherapy. In 8702, the only adjuvant chemotherapy choice was Folfox. The second question was to look at Celecoxib, a COX-2 inhibitor, and how that would affect outcomes of patients with stage 3 colon cancer. Given the wealth of data we have related to aspirin and COX-2 inhibitors for polyps, reduction of future polyps in someone who's had a prior polyp, as well as some epidemiological data showing that that could reduce the risk of recurrence. The celecoxib piece of it has not matured yet. But 2,500 patients were enrolled. The last patient was enrolled in November of 2015. And part of the uh, goal of the trial was to contribute those patients to the 12,000 patients that were part of IDEA. So it's interesting. When Folfox came out and it showed its efficacy, wasn't it that most of the toxicity seemed to occur in the later doses, doses 7 through 12, and that people saw that there was these patients who only got six doses were doing well. Uh, tell us how, how that came about where you said, well, maybe three months is as good as yeah. six months. So the background of all this is originally adjuvant therapy for colon cancer was 12 months of therapy. And then there were several trials, including one large intergroup trial in the United States, that compared six months to 12 months and showed that six months was not inferior. And that really became the standard. And that was in the days of just a fluoroprimidine only, 5-FU and initially levambasol and then And then with the introduction of oxaliplatin to the metastatic setting, there was three trials that looked at adding oxaliplatin. And it used the six-month paradigm because that's what we were doing with 5-FU and leucovorin at the time. And that really is what became the standard of care. And what we know about oxaliplatin, the cumulative neuropathy, which is the neuropathy that really can impact patients' lives for really years after, and for some patients permanently, uh, is a cumulative effect. About 850 milligrams per meter squared total dose is when you start seeing at least 10% of patients get grade 3 neuropathy, and that keeps increasing. And the other worrisome part is that patients, even after they complete chemotherapy, sometimes have the neuropathy worsen before it may start getting better. And for a lot of patients, it gets better over time, but you're absolutely right. The more doses that you have, the more likely you're going to have significant neuropathy that, for some patients that impacts function. So the rationale to try to see can we reduce neuropathy is, again, the question is, was six months even necessary? 
how about three months, because we knew the 12 months wasn't uh, any better than six months. And there was a small trial that was conducted in England that compared, in the days of just 5-FU, doing a continuous infusion of 5-FU for 12 weeks versus six months of therapy. And the, the total sample size was pretty small, but it actually showed that it looked pretty similar. Now, a totally different way of giving 5-FU and not with oxaliplant, but it also provided the rationale to look at that question. So we ran into Axel Grothy at two meetings, uh, ASCO and the Alliance, and he was one of the uh, people that put all that data together. And we'll get his input next. And then what we'll do is, well, I'd like to put a couple scenarios to you on uh, patients as they come in now versus what you would have done a year ago. So we're here at the Alliance meeting in Chicago, and we're with Axel, who's going to introduce himself. Uh, he's from the Mayo Clinic, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the trial that's going to be coming out uh, soon, looking at comparing a three-month versus six-month post-op chemotherapy regimen. Yeah, so I'm Axel Grothier, I'm a medical oncologist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. I was trained in Germany and have been using oxaplatin-based therapy for adjuvant therapy, actually, before I even came here to America. Um, and I think, you know, we all realize that the main complication that we're seeing with oxaplatin is accumulative neuropathy. And we know it's um, something the longer we treat, the more affected patients will be. Yeah, this is something that I think represents a clinical need. And so oftentimes when the patients come to the surgeon, that's uh, what they complain about. Because I know when our patients go to the medical oncologist, they like their surgeon, so they usually tell you about the surgical thing. So that's been something that we as surgeons have seen. And so the trial that you uh, put together was one where there's going to be, instead of the typical 12 cycles of full FOX after particularly stage 3 colon cancer, uh, that there was going to be six cycles. Can you explain, how did that idea get started? So first of all, when we talk about the history of adjuvant therapy in colon cancer, Chuck Mortel, way back when, 1990, published data uh, showing that, you know, it just makes sense to give a year of five of you levamazole, you know, as adjuvant therapy for stage three, or Duke C colon cancer way back when. And then, uh, so we accepted a year of adjuvant treatment as one of the standards of care. Then with an intergroup effort, you know, comparing six months to 12 months, we actually reduced the treatment duration down to six months. And all these studies are non-inferiority studies. I mean, you need to see how much you do you trade off, potentially trade off in efficacy uh, when you uh, reduce the duration of therapy. Um, but I think, you know, even five of you, we, I think, it's, a, it's more a nuisance than really being affected by cumulative toxicities. The issues of, you know, duration of therapy really came into play when oxaplatin got approved for adjuvant treatment of stage 3 and high-risk stage 2 colon cancers, which was really in, in 2004, 2003, 2004, when we saw the data of Mosaic, when we saw that the addition of oxaplatin to 5-helucovorin brought a... Yeah, delta in three-year disease-free survival kind of for all patients in, in stage three of about 7% in disease-free survival. It did translate later into overall survival difference. But I think we all had issues with, you know, question, 
how long do we really treat these patients? And in clinical practice, I can tell you, a minority of patients really does go through these 12 cycles of therapy with oxaplad. Normally, we drop oxaplad, no dose reduce. So I think there was a lingering question, you know, how long do we really need to treat? Also, keeping in mind from my, I mean, biological understanding of micrometastases, if a micrometastasis survives, let's say, six rounds of Folfox, do we really think we can kill them with yeah, around with seven, seven or eight? <laughs> Good you know, point. I mean, yeah. is this really what we think cancer biology is like? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, where did you get started? Did you put together a concept through the Alliance, or how, how did they get started? So, this was an interesting uh, thing that happened about more than a decade ago, actually. So, first of all, Chuck Blanke from Swalk had tried to pull off an international study looking at duration of therapy, um, looking at can we do one single protocol worldwide, and it just didn't work. There's no way we can use one protocol, you know, developed centrally and without uh, a lot of money thrown at this, you know, the confinements of, let's say, federally funded cooperative group, um, really uh, pull off a trial that in a non-inferiority design needs several thousand patients. So this got started through an effort initially in an international form? Yeah, so the idea was at the time in, uh, in 2004, 2000, uh, when oxaplatin became standard of care, there were some efforts to improve the efficacy of uh, this treatment by using EGFSEP antibody, bevacizumab, which eventually had trials that were started and didn't lead anywhere. So yeah. they, we saw that EGFSEP antibodies didn't work, bevacizumab didn't work as adjuvant therapy. And there was really no new drug out there that really lended, was lending itself to kind of an adjuvant trial uh, setting. So I think the time was perfect to really explore um, it's kind of a window of opportunity. Can we shorten the duration of therapy without sacrificing efficacy? So again, this is a non-inferiority question and we did calculations, we talked to patient advocates how much are you willing to sacrifice in terms of efficacy or potential sacrifice of efficacy for less toxicity? We came up with a trial design which required 10,500 patients. So which country can pull off 10,500 patients? Not, not a single country. So it had to be an international effort. Now, fortunately, at that time, there were two proposals underway which were similar in their design. An Italian trial, the so-called TOSCA study, which looked at three versus six months with or without the addition of bevacizumab, and a UK trial, which looked at three versus six months in colon and rectal cancer, stage two and three combined. And uh, so we had two trials that already kind of were being launched at the scene, or were about to be launched, that had our question of interest, but they weren't coordinated. And even individually and combined, they were still not able to pull off the 10,500 patients. So at that time point, uh, so Dan Sargent, who was the statistician at Mayo Clinic for NCTG, unfortunately passed away uh, last year, you know, and myself, we went to CLGB at that time, mm-hmm. had a concept in development, 8702, which was initially designed to look at vitamin, uh, uh, vitamin D uh, versus uh, vitamin D question and uh, celecoxib. And we uh, more or less talked them into dropping vitamin D and adopting the, radi- the duration question, three versus six months. So now we had three trials. So soon, even still not enough for 10,500 patients. Right. So CLGB, the Italian trial, the UK trial came on board. And then once we kind of announced this international collaboration, uh, 
a French study got formed just for the purpose to join this international collaboration. The Idea France study, a Greek study came, of all means, came on board, and the Japanese uh, cooperative group started a study just to provide more patients. So eventually we and, uh, uh, had a collaboration, a consortium, which we called IDEA, the International Duration Evaluation of Adjunct Therapy, which uh, contributed 12,840 patients, so wow. more than we wow. needed. And the interesting thing is all different demographics, All too. different, I That's mean, concurrently be, randomized. Correct. I mean, I mean, not uh, concurrently included in the studies, the, an amazing prospective collaboration to contribute individual patient data, which were all pooled at the uh, at that time NCTG stats office at Mayo Clinic under the guidance of Dan Sargent, which now is the Alliance actually stats office, uh -huh. uh, to be, have an independent data center more or less. What I find intriguing too that every one of these studies actually signed a contract that they were not publishing their own data before the other studies were. Uh, ready to publish their data. So it is. So we wanted to make sure that we're not confusing the uh, muddy the waters by providing, let's say, um, conflicting data sets. You know, the UK study was ready much earlier. They could have published their data probably two years ago, but they held off until we now at the plenary session going to see the data right. at ASCO 2017. Well, this is great, and it's going to be presented at ASCO, uh, and we're all waiting for the result. And I think there's great potential benefit for both patients in terms of yeah. complications and cost. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, if we really, if we can show, and again, the data will be up for, you know, peer review in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, if we can show that three months of oxaplatin-based therapy is not inferior or not clinically inferior to six months, and that's going to be a huge savior in for, for patient toxicity, society, healthcare costs, etc. It will allow us to run studies very differently in the adjunct setting. The other point is, I mean, point I haven't mentioned, um, there is actually, uh, countries could s select whether they use the Falfox-based approach, Falfox-4, modified Falfox-6, but also Capesidin oxaplatin was in there. So it will be interesting to see um, whether the Capesidin-Moxaplatin versus Falfox uh, approach uh, performed better or worse in a three versus six month setting. Yeah. So to wrap up, what do you think is the next step? You've built this sort of consortium. It has great potential for for, for more studies? Yeah, so first of all, I mean, there's so many questions that we can answer when we talk about 12,840 patients. Some of them have biospecimen annotated. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to look at the geographic differences and treatment of outcomes, surgical approaches, you know, um, and uh, some of the studies actually included uh, stage two patients, so we'll have stage two analysis, you know, with the same sample size, uh, but, you know, in the largest number of patients ever uh, included. Just to give you an idea about the power of this analysis, when you com combine all studies previously that use a KPOX or a Falfox uh, control arm, um, all in the history of colon cancer in the adjuvant setting, uh, this uh, contributes about 5,700 patients. So we have more than twice as many patients that have ever been studied in, in colon cancer. So there is a lot of analysis which will actually be open to academic investigators from outside the IDEA collaboration. We also discussed about, we have discussions about using this established platform, this established consortium for further investigations. I mean, whether it's, let's say, vitamin D, you know, the study question that was initially dropped by CLGB 
to allow us to to look at the duration question or others that might come up in the near future. I mean, right, right. the nice thing is we have the we have a setup that is uh, now conducive to running international studies, which can all of a sudden tap into very different questions, questions we might not even dare to uh, to ask before. Yeah. So, well, congratulations, and it will be a very exciting few months as the data comes out and it gets discussed and evaluated. I am really excited and I think it will inform and hopefully change our clinical practice to some degree. Well, thanks very much. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. It was a great interview with um, Axel and he, I, I think the point he made, which is, why do we think that the seventh dose of of a chemotherapy drug is going to get that last micrometastasis versus the sixth? So I'd like to throw out a couple scenarios to you uh, about patients that have come in over the past month, where I think our philosophy is you know radically changed after that presentation uh, a month ago. So a recent patient came in, forty eight year old woman. She had some abdominal cramping, and in this day and age, she, the first thing they did in the ER was do a CT, and they saw uh, a mass or phlegmon in the cecum. And then they also found that she was anemic. So they, they calmed it down with some antibiotics, and then they did a colonoscopy about a few weeks later, and they saw an adenocarcinoma of the cecum. Uh, she had no other metastatic disease, no family history, so we did a lap-assisted sigmoid resection, did great, uh, sorry, lap-assisted right colectomy, she did well, and the pathology came back T3N1 with one of 25 nodes positive. So how would you treat that patient now for postoperative adjuvant therapy now versus a year ago? So a year ago was, is the easy answer because the standard of care was six months of therapy for anyone who had lymph node positive disease. The standard would be full FOX. We know that a lot of patients wouldn't get all 12 cycles of oxaliplatin, but we would try to do at least 12 cycles of with the fluoroprimidine, and most patients will get at least 9 or 10 cycles of oxaliplatin. That patient is now, would be considered in sort of the better risk patients based on the IDEA data, where we divided patients who had higher risk disease, either defined as T4 all the way through the bowel wall or stuck to some other organ, penetrating the par parietal perineum, or N2 disease form more positive lymph nodes. The higher risk patients does appear that six months of therapy is necessary uh, or would be better. Uh, for the lower-risk patients, it, there is consistent data in really each of the trials that participated in that three months of therapy uh, is either statistically non-inferior when you use the capecitabine oxaliplatin regimen or really minimally different and not clinically significant difference when you use full FOX. For this type of patient, I've now uh, turned to thinking about giving capecitabine oxaliplatin for four cycles, because capecitabine oxaliplatin is every three weeks, so a total of 12 weeks, four total infusions of oxaliplatin, and the capecitabine for the two-week-on, one-week-off regimen. And so what about a patient that comes in with T4N2 disease. That's not really as controversial from this data. If you choose to give full box to that patient, that's pretty clear you should do six, you should have a goal of six months of therapy. Now there were a lot of questions asked, well, can we do three months of oxaliplatin, three months of 5-FU and after? 
it's just that's not what was studied. So again, I think what we were doing a year ago, which is you give oxaliplatin, you make adjustments to doses for the last several cycles, a lot of patients will need the oxaliplatin drop, is what I would standardly still do for that patient. The little bit probably controversy is that there is some suggestion, even if you do give capecitinine oxaliplatin, maybe three months would be adequate, but, but that was not statistically different for, in terms of non-inferiority. So for that type of patient, my preference is still to give six months of full fox. And so what about these patients, you know, that the, the N1 versus N2 is a very sort of clear metric, uh, but what about T3 versus T4? And then there's T4A versus other. Yeah. So T4, I think, is the one that is the, is something that the pathologist, it's, it's clear sometimes, there's a little bit of a judgment call other times. What about a T4N1, one out of 25 nodes? So that person, I would still, so it was, the way we analyzed the idea was T4 or N2. So you mm -hmm. don't have to be T4 and N2. The T4, and in fact, the T stage was actually the stronger difference in terms of both prognosis and where there does look like there's a difference between three and six months, even stronger than the N2. Now, N2 is a big variety, so four or more lymph nodes is four, eight, 12. There's, we know there's a clear difference in prognosis, how many more than four there is. Right. So I'll give you a curveball because this is where we have a lot of discussions in our multidisciplinary tumor board is a patient comes in with a T3N1 rectal cancer and the N, which can be controversial, is let's say not controversial, like a 9 or 10 millimeter node with the right uh, morphological features. They get chemoradiation therapy, long course, and then they come in, they have a LAR and temporary ileostomy and they're now down to T2N0. I think one of the things that's uh, always a little bit unclear to me, there's been no dedicated post-op chemotherapy rectal trial. What are your thoughts in, 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 after this new trial coming out for that patient? It's T3N1 to begin with. They've had the six, month, say the six weeks of uh, 5-FU with their radiation. What would you do now differently than a year ago for that post-operative adjuvant therapy? Yeah, and so that's... That's really where it's a big unknown because what we would say to have done a year ago was eight cycles of full FOX. And the downstaging, even though we know that's good prognostically, and you're absolutely right, there's not great data on how much adjuvant therapy, who needs adjuvant therapy, who doesn't. You know, theoretically, you're worried about micrometastatic disease that developed prior to them even being diagnosed. So if they were T3N1, there's still a reasonable risk of that, and chemotherapy we give with radiation for five weeks is probably inadequate to deal with the micrometastatic. Now, the problem always is, were they really T3N1, because we're basing this on clinical imaging um, and not truly pathology. There was one trial that included rectal cancer, just the trial from uh, uh, the UK, and that suggested that the patients who have rectal cancer seem to be similar to the patients with colon cancer, that less therapies are uh, uh, reasonable. However, in that trial, the most patients got was short-course radiation. A lot of patients got no preoperative therapy, but if they did get preoperative therapy, they got short-course radiation. So they got no chemotherapy preoperatively. So that data really can't be applied to the scenario you're describing where people got neoadjuvant chemo radiotherapy followed by surgery. And the other fact we know is that patients who have rectal cancer stage for stage have a little bit of a worse outcome. 
And so for those patients, I'm still considering that we should try to get a goal of, a, of eight cycles of full FOX, because that's not where you get as much neuropathy. But I think it would have a much, you feel more comfortable with a lower threshold to drop the oxaliplatin if you just start having some problems with the patient in the fifth or sixth cycle. But I think this is where we do need to have some more uh, uh, data analysis, both from IDEA, both from the SCOT trial with the rectal cancer, and, and, and potentially think about another trial specifically to rectal cancer, because it is a controversy. The other thing that we have ongoing is the total neoadjuvant approach, which also may change how we think about how many cycles of full FOX you give pre-operative. Right. So, so you'd still stay with the eight as opposed to backing off the six or or even the four cycles of K-pox, which is what you do for a colon cancer. Right. Patient. So I actually think if you did four cycles, uh, if you did, if you chose to do K-pox, you also could think about potentially less cycles. But it's hard to know what eight cycles of full fox is to K-pox. I mean, it's probably about six cycles of K-pox. Right. Right. Because it's sorry, eight cycles of full fox is sixteen weeks. K-pox is every three weeks, so it's like five or six cycles of K-pox. I don't want to minimize the side effects of uh, capecitabine or 5-FU because they have their side effects, but they tend not to be ones that can linger and be permanent. So I think that that's the uh, issue that patients come back to us, you know, complaining about not not at you know three months because they they're in, undergoing chemotherapy, but a year later they say, "Geez, I still have trouble." Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's the yeah. biggest issue we have because. Yes, there's some people who have severe side effects from 5-FU. There's people who get really bad diarrhea. There's people who get hospitalized. But there are not long-lasting side effects. The drug's been around for greater than 60 years. We know there's not risks of secondary cancers. We know there's not risks of neuropathies. It does not impact fertility. So all those side effects that we worry about with a lot of chemotherapies don't really occur long-term with 5-FU. But with oxaliplatin, the neuropathies really plagues patients for years after they've finished treatment. Well, it's a very exciting time. I think it's going to be uh, great to further analyze the data. Um, the, the, the data uh, that you have from the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory will be interesting, and also trying to uh, figure out the nuances of the rectal cancer, the post-op adjuvant therapy in rectal cancer will be uh, good discussions over the next couple of years. Absolutely Anything? agree. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Ron.